Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. All right, everybody, break out your vagina Bibles because <laughs> we have so much to discuss today. We do. We do. We're S- sorry. Oh, no, God. you're good. I was just going to say, I'm so excited. I had so much fun researching this. I literally stayed up like way too late last night, just going down so many different rabbit trails of all the different genital plastic surgeries that exist out there there are so many more than I thought there would be it's kind of absurd but I'm excited to talk about all of them I'm excited to talk about it too and before I get into this my biggest issue with a lot of the marketing behind this and some of this I started understanding more when I read the vagina bible by Jen Gunter, which we have linked on our website, and it's amazing, and every person should read it. But they market off of this idea, like most plastic surgeries, that you're like broken or wrong, yes. or that there's something wrong with you, or that you're abnormal. I would like to read a passage. <laughs> I have the vagina Bible literally right in front of me. This is chapter 23, page 204, if you'd like to follow along. She literally says, many of these products and procedures are under-tested or completely untested. Some are offered with predatory marketing, amazing promises that capitalize on genital shame and fear of aging inflicted upon women by the patriarchy. And if that just doesn't want to make you go pick it, I don't know what does. But I like that she put it that way because with like male genital plastic surgeries, it's definitely kind of more marketed of like, make your penis longer, make your penis bigger. Like there isn't really anything like that's, that's pretty much it. It just markets what it is. But when you look at female genital plastic surgeries, it's a lot of like, restore your youth and rejuvenation after don't get us we're gonna get into rejuvenation but oh my goodness I want to fight every single person that calls it that so I got the majority of my information from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologist they had so much good information so did the American Society of Plastic Surgeons they had a lot of really good info as well so this was my one of my favorite um quotes because this is not I love Jen Gunter but she is passionate so Mm -hmm. we're gonna it's gonna it's facts but it's also gonna have some of her bias this is just like black and white it says female genital cosmetic surgeries are not proven to be safe or effective genital cosmetic surgeries also have serious risks significant risks and so there's like there's so many things to consider when going when going under the knife and so like first of all to every single person listening you are perfect just the way that you are no matter the size the shape the color of anything on your body you are perfect just the way that you are now that being said of course we're all going to have our insecurities and so if you choose to go and undergo some sort of plastic surgery have it be for you this should be a decision that you make on your own of your own volition with adequate knowledge and education of the risks and benefits and without coercion from anyone yeah I think another really, really important point moving forward for us to all understand is vulvas and labias all look different. There's no normal. There is no standard. And I really hope when we post this, we can find like obviously a cartoon image of just the different labia shapes because they are all different. Like some have larger labia minora than labia majora. So like the anatomy is just different. Just like everyone's hands are different everyone's facial features are different all of our bodies are different and that doesn't make it wrong like like life would be boring if we all looked exactly the same yeah it's just it's not bad if you have a different labia than your friend or your sister I like literally have one of my closest friends who's crazy insecure 
about her labia because the labia minora is a little bit longer than the labia majora and I was like we're like close enough she was like hey is this this normal normal? she was like I am like super insecure about this I was like dude that's totally normal and I literally was like googling pictures yeah and I was like nobody checked my search history this was like (laughs) I was like look dude labia minora I was like this is I'm like scrolling I'm like see you're normal like this is fine and it's just like, why is there so much shame around the female body? Like, why are we insecure? Our nose, our lips, our hips, our thighs, our bellies, our vulvas for crying. Like, why, why? is there such? And marketers prey on they this. Prey like, they on prey it. on the insecurities of women. Like, you've got to have all the things the perfect vulva yeah. the tiny waist the big boobs the lip filler the nose jaw or you're well, not and perfect then, and, and it's then like if you watch porn it's like you see all of these women that are like perfectly shaved and touched up and uh, you know are so you know just and, and, it, and it totally it completely distorts your idea not real. of normal yeah. yeah i mean you you see these porn stars and it's like no a lot of them have had a lot of these plastic surgeries and a lot of them have and i mean this is retouched this is edited this is not real it's fake anyway but it again it distorts your perception of reality so don't fall victim to your insecurities and to the page literally the patriarchy just uh, trying to hone in on these insecurities that we feel as women um Again, you know, we want to talk about the different types of plastic surgeries that that are available that have um, that are in practice. But again, this should be done. You know, this should be your own decision. I mean, it's like it's like getting a nose job, you know, or getting lip filler or getting a breast augmentation. This should be done like by you, for you and all about you. This should not be coercion from anyone at all this should be your choice and something that you want to do when you understand the risks and the benefits um but if it's just because you think oh my labias are just too long there's no such thing as too long and we're going to talk about some of the ones that are actually like relevant and beneficial but real quick from ACOG, there is no good research to show that female genital cosmetic surgeries are safe, work well, and some ads can mislead people about what is possible with surgery or what is normal for the body. Yes. There is no evidence that these surgeries will improve your libido or your sex drive, your body image, or your sexual pleasure. They can also cause serious physical problems. So what ACOG is really trying to drive home is there's really no proven benefits and there can be serious complications. And so there's a place we always hear, and it's so funny because I've like trained Carson. It always, it's like all this spa and we have vaginal rejuvenation. And every time that commercial comes on, Carson goes, that's not good for you. No, it's not. (laughs) And I'm like, I love you. It's like, you have been paying attention. Literally. And it's just like, there's so many, like beyond plastic surgery, there's like these laser treatment and there's into it yeah there's all kinds of stuff so this is not an episode that is a push for plastic surgery this is an episode to give you information like the facts side of things we just we want you to know what's out there we want you to know the risks and the benefits um one thing that jen gunter just really really kind of drove home um was that the basically get a second opinion, get a second opinion, talk to multiple different providers, um, to see what options are best with you. Um, she says, if you are concerned about size discrepancy, understand that the labia are part of the sexual response. And if with this knowledge, you wish to go ahead, opt for the smallest reduction that will make you as close to symmetrical as possible. Again, it's rare to have perfect symmetry of the labia. They are sisters, not twins. Um, If it's like, if you are adamant that that surgery is for you, seek two opinions before getting the surgery. Um, if you are a female, she recommends that at least one of them be from a female gynecologist. She, the studies have actually shown that, um, plastic surgeons are more likely to agree to labial reductions than gynecologists and men more likely than women for female 
genital plastic surgeries. Um, not a ton of research that I could find on male plastic surgeries. I did find one article that explained all of them, which was really nice. So we'll get into that, but we're going to start with the ladies. What female cosmetic procedures for the genitalia exist? First and foremost, that most of us have probably heard of is a labiaplasty. What a labiaplasty does is it reduces the length or reshapes the labia minora. So if you remember way, way back from our anatomy episode, the labia minora are like that soft pink skin. Um that kind of form help to form kind of like the quote unquote lips of the vagina. Um, they do not bear hair. There is no hair on these tissues. They are typically soft and pink. Um, and so the average length is between two and 10 centimeters. That is a really big a wide, wide range. So between two and 10 centimeters in length and 0.7 to five centimeters in width. So again, there's no normal length or shape of the labia. That's just kind of average. Um, and so historically, a labiaplasty was actually more common with women that experienced some sort of change along the labia, usually from childbirth, significant weight loss, or some sort of other trauma going on. Um, I had a patient just yesterday. It was a new eval. She came in, we were talking about what's going on. And she was like, I kind of accidentally on ended up having to have a labiaplasty. Uh, when she gave birth, one of her labia minoras almost tore almost entirely off. Um, and so at that point she was like, well, I can't be uneven. And so she decided to undergo a labiaplasty to kind of repair the tearing that happened on the one side and then, uh, make the other side symmetrical as possible as well. So that's typically what it was reserved for. However, there has been a significant rise in anxiety in women over the shape of their labias. 97% of Australian primary caregivers reported that patients were expressing concerns over their labia. 97%. 97% over concerns of their labia. Isn't that crazy? Like, that is such a high number to me. That's so, a lot. And I think it's just, it just goes back, like, it, there's all these things. It's the same thing, like, with all those um, vaginal washes and douches. Mm -hmm. It's, like, all goes back to these marketing campaigns that are really trying to make women feel like they are abnormal. Or even, like, the porn industry, which is such a yes. male gay... It, it Porn is... Typical porn is shot for men. Like, it's not, it's not real, and it's not typically like shot for women or made for women and so it's like we've got all of the this like fake false information coming in from everywhere and it's like creating these insecurities that just oh, for sure oh it just drives me crazy because we're just continuing to reinforce to women like your body's wrong your body's bad you should be ashamed and it's like it's like almost in some ways the shame like we like to say like we're so much more proud of our bodies but like we're just continuing to shame it in different ways than mm -hmm. they did back then it's like first it was like oh you're if your ankle shows you're a whore and now it's like everybody's labias are wrong right? <laughs> it's like we can't freaking win we cannot win side note do you know the comedian taylor tomlinson yes I love okay her. so she she had a bit in one of her stand-ups that was basically talking about porn for women. Have you seen that? No. Oh my gosh. It's it's basically like an audiobook type situation. And it's like, it starts off in the one that she's describing. It's like, you get into a car accident and it's like this firefighter that like comes to save you. And he's just like, I've got you. You're going to be okay. Like that is the porn for women. That's like that's what so, <laughs> it's like not even like there's not, like even not even a labia. Visual. Yeah. There's not a labia. In sight. There's not a labia in sight. That's so funny. So 
anyway, the, like like we said, the goal is of a labiaplasty. Kind of typically, the that surgical procedure is to reduce either the size of the labia minora so that it does not protrude below the labia majora, or to reduce any asymmetries. A lot of women that undergo this procedure typically complain of irritation or itching along the labia. The actual size of the labia does not contribute to those things. Um, however, significant irritation and like tugging on them can. Mm -hmm. Um, And so having a larger labia minora itself is not going to cause any sort of itching and irritation. However, sometimes they can get caught with sex. That's what, yeah, that was a complaint. Yeah, that's where where a lot of... that's where that's where some concern comes in with any sort of penetration if that labia minora is actually being pulled into the introitus as well can be pretty painful or uncomfortable that can also be mitigated by just using two fingers to spread the labia apart before any penetration happens just to get that kind of out of the way typical cost three grand so much three grand yep and that does not include the anesthesia that does not include operating room fees and other related expenses um this but i also thought that it was interesting this can be done under a local anesthesia it doesn't even have to be yeah isn't that crazy You're going to have to knock me out. Things that made my overactivity worse this week. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Can't be done under a local anesthesia. Um, Recovery time is usually a week off of work. Uh, Tampons and intercourse delayed four to six weeks after the procedure. However, residual swelling may take up to six months to disappear completely. Risks of this procedure. Obviously, infection is a big one. And you go under, you have any sort of surgery, infection is going to be, be a risk. Bleeding, chronic dryness, scarring, hematomas, pain, and perhaps the worst one, over-resection. Like if they take too much out of the, out of the labia. So something to remember, um, we are on page 206 of the vagina Bible. If you're following along, um, before considering labial reduction surgery, it is important to remember that the labia minora are sexually responsive structures. They have erectile tissue, have specialized nerve endings. They engorge, they are attached to the top of the clitoral hood. And so traction may enhance clitoral stimulation. The labia minora also have an important role as they protect that vaginal opening. They give so much protection to that vestibule. So surgically reducing the labia should be considered the exact same thing as surgically reducing the size of the penis. Can we slow clap for that? Because how many guys are like, no, bro, my my penis is just too Mm. big. Sometimes like I get it caught in my tidy whities or whatever. And so like like the impact of labiaplasties on sexual function and sensation is not studied like we we have no research on it we have no research on it this is something that's like a little bit newer again this was typically done for like reconstruction or to restore normal anatomy but lately it's becoming more of like a an aesthetic procedure Mm -hmm. and so again we don't know the implications that any of these have on sexual function Along with, I don't know if you read this, but in everything I read, talking about the attachments on that clitoral hood, whenever they do a labiaplasty, they would often do a clitoral hood reduction. Oh, that was my next point. Okay, yeah, perfect. That, yeah, perfect. that's a whole, yeah, that's, it has its own, okay. had its own little tab on Fantastic. the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. Fantastic. One thing that I do want to say, just because I love Jen Gunter and I want to read this next paragraph as well. I have also read about plastic surgeons who do labiaplasties so women can look quote-unquote sleeker in so-called athleisure wear. I know some people call this look a camel toe, but I prefer labial cleavage, and the answer is not surgery. It is better fitting athletic wear. I've stared at more male butt cracks than I care to remember, whether it was just some guy bending over or gravity-defying pants that appeared to hover like magic just above the anus without a belt. What I never hear is that men should seek out plastic surgeons to get their gluteal clefts sewn shut. I also can't imagine a similar industry for men that profits from surgically trimming penises so they look better in tight jeans. Food for thought. Overall, there's actually a 90% satisfaction rate with the outcome of this procedure. That's good. So, overall, so again, it's just, it's hard to say we don't know long-term effects. We don't know impact on sexual function. Yes, there are definitely risks. Um, however... If this is something that you're insecure about, is something that you've got three grand sitting around for, go for it. And you're prepared for, for some of the risks yep. that may 
potentially yeah that have the potential to develop here so again it just depends on what you want this should be done for you and only for you clitoral hood reduction actually extracts folds from the clitoral hood so we've kind of talked about if like you can imagine if you're wearing a hoodie if you're wearing a sweatshirt and you pull that hood up the hood is the clitoral hood. Your little face is the clitoris. Okay. That's kind of the tip of it. That's kind of the yeah. anatomy here. Um, and so clitoral hood reduction actually extracts that fold from the clitoral hood to allow the clitoris to become a little bit more prominent. And this is typically done with a labiaplasty as well, because sometimes when you change that structure of the labia, some women feel like it makes their clitoris a little bit more prominent and it like almost too much. Um, and so with that clitoral hood reduction, it can kind to help to balance things out a little bit again if we're going for aesthetics here um and you know visually pleasing by whosoever standards that can typically be done um, along and so tissue is excised based off of individual anatomy and closure is typically done with absorbable sutures again same risks bleeding hematomas infection nerve damage under resection and over resection and again things that made my <laughs> overactivity worse the idea of having an over resection on the clitoral hood like potentially taking parts of the clitoris itself oh, that sounds so painful so okay here was my first thought when reading all this and I could not find like good research to to give me answers so this is like some just some food for thought when we think about erectile tissue the whole point of it is that it's flexible right like we have those changes in the tissue so we've got that clitoral hood able to retract back and forth like to move back during arousal and then that hood moves back down over the clitoris once we're no longer aroused when I think about surgery, my first thought is scar tissue, right? Like yes. we've all seen the ACL, like that scar tissue, that adherence down post-op. And so I'm like, what do you think that's going to do? That's my ideal is like when we, cause it start cause one of the risks is like decreased sexual function. And I just think that's just not an area if you can help or if you can avoid it that like, you would that's want. That's just like not a something that I really want to mess with. <laughs> right. That's my deal. I'm like, I don't want to mess with those erectile tissue it's almost like a lot of men with prostate cancer elect if it's like slow growing not to have any kind of interventions like radiation or surgery because they are afraid of messing with that erectile tissue messing with the nerves that cause an erection leading to a lack or a decrease in sexual function and it's like why would we even risk yeah. that for just cosmetic? Now, I, I understand there's other things, there's other reasons to have these, but if it's just because some boy in high school laughed at your labia and you've like carried that shame with you, that's not a good enough reason. Nope. He was wrong, not you. Yep. Like, nope. You are, you are, you are normal. Perfect. You are normal. You are perfect. And so barring like a medically necessary reason... I just want everybody to know that. Just like take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. All right. The next procedure that I've got on the list is a mons plasty. So the mons pubis is basically that area of skin that sits right above like the pubic bone. Um, and so this procedure is typically designed to reduce bulging of the mons or the area of the skin directly over that genitalia. It's kind of like a tummy tuck, but lower. Um, and so typically actually liposuction to this area is sufficient um, for the desired outcomes here Um, and again same thing risks are bleeding hematomas infections and scarring alrighty surgical intervention for a vaginoplasty okay (laughs) this one angers me okay I'm gonna try real hard to not get angry here I'm gonna be quiet I'm gonna try so this is also known as a posterior colporophy I think I said that right and is designed to tighten the vagina 
Some women complain of vaginal laxity and it is sometimes to the point where tampons will just fall out and sexual dysfunctions can arise. In this surgical procedure, separated muscle is brought together and that extra mucosa of skin from the back of the vagina is just removed. Again, same thing with risks, infection, bleeding, pain, and other pretty rare complications that apparently the American Society of Plastic Surgeons didn't want to go into because that's all they said. This procedure can be done as a way to restore normal anatomy after significant perineal tearing after childbirth. Like I will say there Mm -hmm. is, there is uh, cases where this is medically necessary just because like, again, if that tearing is so significant to the point where like the actual sides of that vaginal canal are just not healing together, we can bring those sides of the tissues together. Almost like a hernia repair. Right. Almost like a hernia repair. That is is the only case where... (laughs) That is not how it is marketed, though. No, it is marketed as, like, a way to tighten the vagina. Yes. Because it goes back to what we have talked about, like, this whole idea of the vagina, like, the perfect vagina being tight and all... You're, you're holding up the vagina Bible. I'm sure Jen Gunter says oh. it more eloquently oh, than don't. I'll be able oh, to. Yes. yes. So this is also called a perineal plasty um, as well. Um, occasionally when a vaginal delivery has resulted in a tear and there is poor healing because the muscles have healed too far apart, this procedure will be offered to restore anatomy. It is also sometimes done as a part of a prolapse surgery. What a perineal plasty won't do is give you better sex. It can treat prolapse, but if it is done too aggressively, it will create a smaller vaginal opening and often this can cause pain with penile insertion. This surgery can also trigger painful muscle spasms. If you feel that your vagina is looser after delivery, the answer is usually Kegel exercises and physical therapy, not surgery. Okay. So this is something that I think that physical therapy should be a first line treatment before we even go into any sort of surgery. The muscle is muscle. We can increase that resting tone of the muscle with strengthening exercises. This isn't necessarily something that just kind of has to be done surgically. It kind of reminded me of a husband stitch, honestly. And it just, again, it's, it's not marketed as let's restore your normal anatomy. It's marketed as let's tighten up those muscles because you've had six babies and are loosey goosey like no that does no that is not how it works so funny story I actually had a patient who came in with a very severe perineal tear following childbirth and it actually didn't heal all the way so like the ends where that perineum starts to meet that vaginal opening the introitus they did not adhere she had some dehiscence of her stitches and so it was like a little bit open and she was having incontinence and some problems I don't remember. I know for sure incontinence. And she was just like convinced it was because that didn't, she needed plastic. She was like, I've got to have plastic surgery. We did pelvic floor physical therapy and not a single like symptom remained after pelvic. She had no incontinence, able to achieve climax, no pain, like beautiful sex was great. No bowel symptoms, no problems at all. And she she said like her husband could not feel a difference like it Perfect. did not feel any however she still after we finished therapy decided she wanted to undergo plastic surgery just for some cosmetic repair because it you could see mm-hmm. like where the tear was but she was like it's literally purely cosmetic and she was sure. like and I'll just get to it whenever I get to it yeah. because like function wise I'm a hundred percent beautiful back to where I was And part of me was like, it's your body, it's your life, like, good for you. I was a little bit sad that she felt like she needed that. But also at the same time, like, I know post-baby moms are just, like, trying to feel like themselves again. So I was like, this is your body, your choice, like, whatever you feel like to make you, you need to make you feel better, feel confident. Like, that is obviously your decision. And I support you. I'm your therapist. I support you. But my point was... This is often marketed as you tore, you had a baby, Mm -hmm. so all of these functions, you've got to have this surgery and have this perfect tight vagina, perfect labia, whatever, to be back to normal, to be back to your old self. Like, that's the only way. And it's like, no, our bodies are made for this. And a lot of times, if we'll just give it the right environment and the tools to heal, we'll be fine. 
will be so fine. And then like one thing that I do just want to say is that when I'm doing internal examinations on patients, I have never been able to just like insert a finger and be like, oh, this person has had a baby. Like that. Yeah. I've literally, I wouldn't, unless they, other than them, like actually telling me their gynecological history, I'd, I wouldn't be able to tell just based off of appearance or feel internally like that there is there's no difference. There's no difference. So all of these, again, these procedures just aren't typically marketed for, you know, normal rest and restoration of anatomy. They are, there's pretty aggressive, um, and, uh, really detrimental marketing. Again, I, I think that her, I think that Jen Gunter's way of phrasing it, some are offered with predatory marketing, amazing promises that capitalize on genital shame and fear of aging inflicted upon women by the patriarchy. Like, again, this That's is something just, that is inflicted upon us. And I feel, I like the way that she worded that because predatory. it's, like, it's it predatory. Is. It is. It really is. So moving along with vaginal rejuvenation. Oh, God. Non-surgical interventions for vaginal rejuvenation include the use of thermal or energy-based treatments. These usually look like wands um, or something like that that is inserted into the vagina, and there is usually some sort of thermal or carbon dioxide-based energy technique, and it's hard to describe because there's such crappy research on this and they are not FDA approved. I was just going to say these procedures, and I literally have this in all caps. These procedures are not approved by the FDA for vaginal cosmetic interventions, menopause symptoms, urinary incontinence, or sexual problems. In fact, these devices can cause vaginal burns, scarring, pain with sex, and long lasting pelvic pain. And this is coming directly from the American college of obstetrics and gynecology. These are not FDA approved. There is no research. There is no support. It can do more damage and it's just going to cost you a boatload of money. And they are preying on women. No, that's what, like the FDA actually warns against some of this. And these like medical wellness spas or whatever, they are preying on the insecurities of women. And Again, just kind of reinforcing this whole idea of, like Jen Gunter said, genital shame. That because you're older, because you've had a baby, you are somehow wrong. And like, what does vaginal rejuvenation even mean? It's not a thing. And like, like she, Jen Gunter literally even says, it's hard to explain a procedure that is not defined. And so it's just like, like there is no, there's no definition of rejuvenation. Like that doesn't, it's, it's literally just throwing words out there again, preying on our feeling of, I need to reverse what I did with childbirth, or I need to go back to, you know, the way that my body once was. Again, if you feel like those tissues are a little bit looser, if you're feeling more laxity, if things are, you know, protruding or falling out, that's the time to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, not go get a thermal wand shoved up there like I and again it's not it's not FDA approved if anything it can actually cause more harm than good and I get really frustrated because I see women on a weekly basis if not a daily basis who are struggling with some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction either from like post childbirth or menopause and they're just searching for answers because it's hard to find answers because imaging is clear and lab results are fine. And so they're just searching for answers. And so these people prey on that and they're like, oh, I've got this wand that'll change your life. And these women come in and they're like, it was just super painful and and didn't help them at all. And it cost like hundreds of dollars. And it just frustrates me because it's like, yeah, empty. I I don't even have the words, honestly. Like I just... it, it's predatory. It's empty promises. And it continues to like reinforce that there's not help out there for women. And I exactly. think it continues. They're like, oh, that failed. So I like, there is something wrong with me. It's like, no, that was just a horrible treatment. Yeah. I see people like you every day, people like you every day, get fine, get better. That was just an awful treatment. That was not a you problem. And so they continue just to feel broken and it infuriates me. It does. We're going to riot. So what in the world are these laser procedures? The technology claims to cause superficial injuries and micro injuries to the vaginal mucosa to then increase blood flow to stimulate the growth of collagen and glycogen deposits. In theory, sounds great. However, the vaginal mucosa skins... The skin cells, the vaginal mucosa cells themselves, repopulate every 96 hours. 
So you don't need every to ninety six re- hours. So it's hard to see how these changes could be long lasting. It's like if you're trying to stimulate glycogen and collagen production, again, sounds great. Like those are big buzzwords. Mm-hmm. Like most people know what collagen is and, you know, we take collagen supplements and glycogen and everything like that. But again, like those, that increase in that production is not shown to improve any sort of elasticity in the muscle tissue in the vaginal wall tissues and again that mucosa rejuvenates every it rejuvenates itself I was it to does say, it itself every 96 hours so this you're not going to get long-term changes you're just going to be shelling out hundreds of dollars to speed up the process of what your body already does every three days your vag your vagina rejuvenates itself do not go pay someone to rejuvenate you that's trash thank you so much So there is very, very little solid evidence. Um, And the research that is out there is typically highly biased. This research is typically done by uh, manufacturers of these companies, of these brands. Um, And so if anytime you see that of like, oh, like even the Squatty Potty, like even their research is highly biased because Mm -hmm. they paid for it. They facilitated this research. So it's like, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. Like, okay, yes, if we're paying for this product, if we're developing this product and trying to advertise it and market it and make money off of it, of course we're going to show that the research works. Of course we're going to show this. And so that that highly bias is just, it's it's there. That's and so what, like a lot of these products will be like research shows or blah, blah, blah. Like look into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Be like what research? I would encourage anyone who's considering this kind of treatment or any of the surgical interventions, do your research on websites like ACOG and not on, never, ever, ever do your research solely based on that company's website or that product's website and their customer reviews. Those are going to be highly biased. Extremely, extremely biased. And like Rachel said, talk to get at least two opinions. If you're a female and you're looking for that kind of surgery, talk to other females, female providers and have this conversation with your gynecologist, not your plastic surgeon. Yes. Yes. So one of the biggest things that this vaginal rejuvenation and these laser therapies are marketed towards is symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of menopause or GSM. You might hear it as well. Um, Symptoms of GSM affect approximately 50% of women. So there's a lot of vaginal involver changes that happen with menopause. Again, Jen Gunter explains all of it in the Vagina Bible. I we cannot recommend this book enough. The most common symptoms that lead women to request medical help are dryness, pain with sex, and irritation. They might report a sandpaper-like feeling, vaginal burning, changes in vaginal discharge, and a change in vaginal odor. Some women do also become more prone to bladder infections. And so a lot of these symptoms are kind of what initially leads women to seek help. And this is where you're going to find a lot of marketing for vaginal rejuvenation. However, there is no research that supports the use of these products, of these um, treatments for GSM or for incontinence. And it is not legal for these companies to make these claims either. Um, And so recent randomized control trials have shown very little difference in symptoms, symptom changes when groups received rejuvenation from these devices and sham therapies, meaning they literally didn't get anything at all. It's like nothing changed. And that research is coming from an article called Laser Devices for Vaginal Rejuvenation, Effectiveness, Regulation, and Marketing from the Canadian Medical Association Journal published in February of 2023. Thank you so much. Topical estrogen is considered the gold standard for GSM. Um, Vaginal estrogen works by actually increasing the glycogen of the vaginal tissues which actually supports the bacteria within the vaginal walls themselves, uh, which can then produce that lactic acid, lower the pH. Estrogen also increases blood flow, tissue elasticity, and the production of collagen to strengthen those tissues. There is no increased risk of breast cancer, heart attack, or stroke. However, on all products that have that contain estrogen, it is required that they have that black box warning. Basically, 
that it basically says, you know, warning endometrial cancer, cardiovascular disorders, breast cancer, and probable dementia. These side effects have never been shown with vaginal estrogen, but because it has been shown when estrogen is giving systemically, it, the FDA requires that if the risk is seen with one form of the drug, it must appear on labeling of all forms of the drug. Um, and topical estrogen is even safe for women that have had history of breast cancer as well. Um, so something to consider, something to talk to your physician about if you are experiencing symptoms of GSM, that topical estrogen is the gold standard, that first line of treatment. And we have seen it work oh, wonders. It's awesome. Yeah. Wonders for our patients. I wish like if you told me okay Callie as a pelvic floor we physical therapists cannot prescribe medication if you told me okay you get one medication you can prescribe as a physical therapist obviously when it's appropriate what are you choosing topical estrogen vaginal estrogen absolutely like there's no no doubt so I love ACOG's website because Usually, like if, if I was just someone looking up this information for myself, there's like little drop down boxes and it kind of talks you through this. And then at the very end, because most people have this because it's like we want to improve satis- sexual satisfaction, either for mm-hmm. ourselves or for our partner or whatever. There's some kind of something there that's usually leading us to this or leading a lot of people there. And so there's a little drop down box that says, how can I improve sexual satisfaction without surgery? And I just love what they say because it says there are many other ways to improve sexual satisfaction. Learning more about your body and how it works may help. If you have a partner, building better communication with them may help too. You can also talk with your OBGYN or other healthcare professional about ways to address specific problems. Medication, physical therapy, counseling, and many self-help options are available. And then they have a link to like your sexual health and it like has all these questions and all this information. And then if you still wanna proceed with surgery, it gives you questions to ask your surgeon. So what are the possible risks? How often do problems happen? Their experience, like what experience do they have performing this surgery? Have they ever done it before? How many have they done? What were the results with their patients? So I do love that. And then there's like a little drop down box for body, excuse me, body dysmorphia. So I love that. Love ACOG. So that's it for the ladies. Lots of different things, lots of different things to consider. Again, we want this to be a well-informed decision. That's, that's all our goal Mm -hmm. ever is, is just to inform. Um, And so that's, that's that for the ladies. And so we're going to move move right along into some of the male genital cosmetic procedures. All the information that I got for this is coming from a article called Aesthetic Surgery of the Male Genitalia um, from Seminars in Plastic Surgery. This was published in August in 2011. So not super recent, but for the most part, a lot of these procedures still kind of ring true today. So the first one that we're going to talk about as I'm sure you can guess it, can guess, can guess it, it. can guess it, sure you can guess it, penile lengthening. Oh. Doesn't that sound painful? That just sounds painful painful. to me. (laughs) Basically with this surgery, it is a release of the suspensory ligament of the penis, which (sighs) keyword here is may allow penile lengthening. This ligament is released for a width of one finger breadth along the length of the pubic symphysis um, by incising directly into the periosteum or like that kind of tissue that helps to support bones, ligaments, structures, all that good stuff. Um, Now, lots of complications here. The blood supply to the penis may be disrupted, leading to healing problems, um, such as a partial flap loss or wound dehiscence. Scarring may result in a hairless or depressed pubic area, um, and it can also result in movement of thick hair-bearing skin onto 
the penis itself, which can change the appearance of the base of the penis. Um, so lots of, lots of different things to consider here when undergoing this surgery. The amount of penile length gained with suspensory ligament release is very controversial and varies greatly. Occasionally, flaccid length may increase by a centimeter or more, but often no gain is achieved. The use of penile weights or stretching devices post-operatively potentially allows for another increase in length gain um, as the patient continues to use these devices approximately one week after surgery and continues daily um, for a period of, of months to years. That sounds like medieval torture. Penile weights and stretching devices. I'm picturing like, you know, the halo traction they do for spinal injuries. Yes. Oh, Oh my um, gosh. Ow. From the Urology Care Foundation, there are many ads about how to increase penis size. There are penis pills, creams, stretchers, or stretching devices in surgery. Almost none of them work. So, again, like length gained, really, truly. How much are we going for here? Um, several of these penile stretching devices actually have been investigated as a non-invasive approach to increase penis length. Um, they require the patient to wear the device four to nine hours a day for three to six months. An increase in flaccid penile length ranging from 2.3 to 2.7 Um, again, really not a lot of research here, not a lot of research. So this surgery, again, this penile lengthening surgery, the, really the main one that actually exists is just the release of a ligament, um, which may allow for a centimeter gain. Uh, so again, something to think about, something to consider, ask your surgeon all sorts of questions when going through something like this. Now we also have penile girth enhancement. Um, this is typically sought um, by men with an augmentation of penile lengthening. So we want a little bit more length, a little bit more girth. Um, and so basically what happens, I mean, obviously you want a symmetrical girth increase, um, which is really difficult to do real difficult. Um, typically we see autologous fat injections, meaning kind of coming from your own body. They're going to kind of like take fat, almost like a fat displacement. Um, oh, what's the word for it? Uh, repositioning. I think that's the word for it. I can't remember. Um, there's a name for it. They suck the fat out of one area and stick it in somewhere else. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. something like that. Yeah. I'm sure everybody at home is screaming at, it at me right now, but I cannot think of the word. But that's basically what they can do to the penis. Because it is coming from your own material, there's uh, v much less of a risk for like a rejection type response here um, results very significantly between practitioners. Um, typically injecting smaller amounts of fat using multiple tunnels results in less secondary deformities. Um, however, complications can result if it is not performed well or if large fart large amounts of fat are injected, um, like unsightly nodules, irregularities, um, even some like fat resorption, asymmetry, and loss of penile rigidity due to excess fat. So basically what this is doing is like, again, it's a kind of that fat redistribution. So you're not increasing actual turgor or like rigidity. You're only injecting fat into the area. And so it's, it's not going to be as, as rigid, um, potential for that complication there. Um, we can do dermal or dermal fat grafts to increase penile girth. Um, they're typically placed as strips along the shaft of the penis. Um, lots, lots of problems that can come from this though. Um, on, on today's episode of things that made my overactivity worse. We're just going to keep right on chugging along with just getting that pelvic floor up into your, up into your throat. Rachel um, showed me a picture during oh, her research if of you, a fat graft gone wrong. Horribly wrong. And it took, I mean, a relatively normal penis. Then it showed the graft. And then when it was done after everything had gone wrong, 
the penis literally looked like hamburger meat, like it, raw chopped up hamburger oh, meat. And it was so If you want to look bad. at pictures, you can look up this article. There's lots of pictures in it. Again, it's the aesthetic surgery of the male genitalia. Uh, it was published in 2011. The moral of that um, story is if Rachel says, hey, do you want to see something? <laughs> you say no. You say no. <laughs> you say no. <laughs> Oh, so yes, lots of <sighs> different ways to increase that penile girth, but ugh, really risks versus reward here. You're not getting a lot of really, I mean, and I think it we're goes going back for to centimeters the here. Yeah. 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 And it's like, this kind of preys on men, just like the other stuff preys Absolutely. on women. Like there's really no normal penis length girth whatever and so it's like again it just pray like it's just telling them you're wrong you're abnormal when you're most likely not like unless there's a medical issue don't don't worry about this stuff don't worry about it you're normal there's variation from body to body it's okay it's all good all good all right so the next one is a hidden or a buried penis this procedure is actually really similar to the monsplasty. And so typically a concealed penis refers to a penis in which its appearance is obscured partially or completely within the pubic skin and fat or scrotum. So kind of uh, not necessarily like the belly itself, um, but kind of that lower low belly region. If there is an extra, if there is extra skin or extra fat over that area, it can actually hide the penis there um, almost completely. Um, and so again, this is really similar to that Mons plasty that we talked about. Typically that liposuction is really an inadequate way to get that, uh, the desired results. Um, you can also have what's called, uh, penoscrotal tacking, which is, sounds so painful, (laughs) but, um, again, it just kind of helps with that kind of more firm positioning that way, if you're just standing there looking at somebody, you would be able to see everything. Um, if the patient does not have a significant pubic fat pad um, and skin descent, pubic liposuction with tacking from the skin at that penopubic junction, so where the shaft base of the penis meets the, the body, um, can be performed in association with that penoscrotal tacking as well. Um Surgery is actually pretty successful here. Again, it's a lot less invasive than, you know, penile lengthening or girth enhancement. Um, Typically just a liposuction of that fat pad and a little bit of tacking as needed. Um, It often improves chronic skin inflammation as well. Um, So you can imagine like when we got a lot of extra folds within the skin, I mean, we've all been outside on a hot Texas day in tight pants, like things get ripe down there. And so if you have that chronically and even more extra skin and some of that irritation, we can improve a lot of that inflammation. Yeah. We've got two more. Two more. We've got a scrotal reduction. So aging or stretching due to any sort of inflammation, um, lymphedema even, uh, or really just any sort of congenital laxity may lead to enlarged and or low-hanging scrotum, um, leading to concerns with self-image and discomfort from skin irritation. Basically, what we do here is a horizontal excision of the mid to upper scrotum to allow removal of excess scrotal skin. Um, This asymmetrical can be performed if there's only like unilateral scrotal enlargement. Um, The fat is excised as well and reapproximated with resorbable sutures um, and the skin is closed. So pretty pretty easy pretty straightforward um hematoma is the most common complication here but for the most part pretty easy recovery and the last thing which i had never even heard of this before is a penoscrotal web correction so a penoscrotal web is caused by scrotal skin extending onto that like back surface of the actual shaft of the penis, which can result in loss of definition of, um, you know, just 
structures and can also cause problems with sexual intercourse. And so, um, it's almost kind of looks like, and I'm again, lots of pictures here, (laughs) but it's basically like a piece of skin that connects the scrotum to the penis and this can like it's it's literally webbed skin it's like if you've ever had you know had a friend that had like webbed fingers or webbed toes it's kind of what this looks like and so it's not going to really allow for really comfortable penetration of any kind um and so along with this technique basically it and it kind of can also be uh congenital but it can also occur due to over-resection of the penile skin from circumcision. Um, And so we kind of use um, just like a longitudinal incision um, with more severe webbing. That excess skin can be resected along the median, like like right along the middle. Um, Sometimes you can use a Z-shape with a Z-plasty, single or double Z-plasty. They kind of go into the specific procedures here um but based off of the individual um it is going to kind of depend on the maximum amount of skin that can be removed without causing penile constriction during erection we want to make sure that all of these other tissues are are working well here so that's male genitalia plastic surgeries for you. Um, aesthetic surgery of the male genitalia represents both treatment for physical deformities and penile dysmorphophobia or perceived small penis. Um, this is coming directly from the article. This is not me. This is what the article said. Um, care should be taken to address both physical and psychological aspects of the problem with meticulous surgical technique and realistic expectations that are essential for favorable surgical and psychological results. In conclusion, for genital plastic surgery for men and women, Patients should be made aware that surgery or procedures to alter sexual appearance or function are not medically indicated, pose substantial risk, and their safety and effectiveness have not been established. And that is the official committee opinion of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology as of January 2020, but I think that significantly applies to men as well. Um, And so you are perfect just the way that you are. Don't let anybody ever make you feel bad or different for being shaped the way that you are if they do find a new partner because that person is not worth your time um like plastic surgeries again i mean this is again this is this is cosmetic plastic surgery however for minors this is illegal so i will put that out there right now um If you are a mother concerned about the size of your teenager's labias, stop looking at your teenager's labias. Thank you so much. Um, If you're concerned about it, maybe talk to, you know, her pediatrician or gynecologist. However, if you discuss it over and over and over again, all you're going to do is give that baby child body dysmorphia. Um, Any sort of genital plastic surgery under the age of 18, except in extreme circumstances, is considered genital mutilization in the United States and is a crime. So this plastic surgery is not for our kiddos out there. If it is something that you are significantly insecure about, that you are like, if it is interrupting your day to day, do your research, wait until you are 18, preferably after that. But like, you know, wait, wait, just give it time. Let it ride out. Your body is still changing anyway. You're going to be going through some more changes. So like, just like I said, wait it out, wait it out, girlfriend. Yep. All right. Do you have a patient one? I do. Yes, I do. So I have this patient, um, and we have been working a couple weeks now, um, couple months actually, and has just had, was making like really, really, really good progress. Um, and then things just got really hairy just in her personal life was going through a ton of stress. Um, just, uh, you know, changes in medication, changes in antidepressants and like things just kind of skyrocketed for her stress wise, but she has not had any change 
in her urinary symptoms at all. She was having some significant leakage and, you know, stress incontinence, had an overactivity. Um, We've finally been able to start working on strengthening, but she has been like rocking and rolling, just kind of rolling with the punches. And I'm so impressed that she's been able to just deal with all of these life stresses and not have any problems kind of show up within the pelvic floor. So like she's been doing awesome, which is really, really cool to see because a lot of times with stress, it's the exact opposite. We see like this spike in symptoms of, well, this happened and then I had to go do this and then I had to travel and then this happened and now my pelvic floor feels like it's in my throat and all this stuff. But no, she's been doing awesome. She's been doing awesome. So yeah, it's been really cool. I love that. What's yours? I'm so excited about mine. I... I don't want to like give away too much because, you know, I'm trying to protect this person's identity. But somebody actually came all the way across the country to be seen at our clinic by us. Is that not the coolest thing Because of this show. When I like, I was so humbled by that. Like seriously, Rachel and I had a conversation like this is why we started this podcast. We could end it right now and it would be worth it. Just helping people find answers. And I just, I was just, I feel such a huge responsibility. I feel so honored that somebody would literally come all the way across the country just to see one of us and just to be seen in our clinic. So I, that was amazing. And I'm really hoping like we do some good things. Yeah. Really, really hoping. So, so it was, yeah, it It just, it warmed our hearts so much. And we were just like, Oh, I teared this up. Is, yeah, like I, this, yeah. This is the kind of reach that we have. This is the kind of impact that we have. And we thank you guys so much. Like we would not be here without you. We hope that you find answers in our podcast. We hope that you find help. Um, if you want to request an appointment with us, that link is directly at our website. Um, if you go to our Instagram that link is in our bio that'll take you to our little homepage and you can request an appointment directly from there. It'll take you to the optimal, um, optimal page to request an appointment and you can put right in there. Like I want to see Kelly or Rachel, um, PSA girls, whatever you want in there. Um, but it was seriously so cool that we had somebody yeah. that was willing to do that, to travel all that way just to see us. That yeah. was, whew. I'm really hoping we can set up like some telehealth moving forward. Yes. I'm working yeah. with my we're working with Alita on that. So super exciting. Okay, now to the fun segment. Things that made my overactivity worse this week. I and this really didn't affect me all that much, but I have to share because it's like crazy. So you've heard us talk about how our clinics have two locations. We live in West Texas. It is hot, it is dry. But we recently just got a ton of rain, like kind of out of nowhere. Our second location flooded. So that was like super stressful, mainly for our boss. This really wasn't that stressful for me. But like the ceiling leaks, we had some flooding come in like off the street. So the location flooded. Without missing a beat, my boss is just like, fantastic. Everybody's coming here. So we had two clinics in practicing and seeing patients in one location. So I joke that it made my overactivity worse. Honestly, it was like a very seamless transition. Like it actually was so smooth. And the coolest thing about it was patients could continue to get care. Like that's what I was like, how fortunate is it that we have this second location and these people that are needing care can continue to get care. And it's not just like, oh, we have to cancel your appointment. Like people still were able to get seen and get treated, which like I said, I joke that it made my overactivity worse just because I don't like change. And I was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? (laughs) I literally had to do nothing. It did not affect my life at all, except for I got to see the people from our other location and it was awesome. And I was like, hey guys, hey, what's up? How's it going? It's a little crowded. So if you've been here this last week or two and it's been a madhouse, it's not normally like this. Like we're busy, but we're like not nearly that busy. So it's just been people everywhere. It's just been people, people everywhere. everywhere. But so. we've got an awesome team. We ha- we took it in stride. We so. did. Honestly, the things that made my overactivity worse were researching this. Like <laughs> the thought of a clitoral hood resection resecting too much and causing scar tissue and like like I said I had a patient who literally just yesterday did her eval yesterday um and she was talking about how she had a you know an unintentional labiaplasty but she's had a lot of problems associated with it a lot of scar tissue so I'm just like oh 
the thought of anybody coming near that area with a scalpel uh uh-uh. nope it's gonna no, be a hard you. pass hard me. pass all Got right. a board question? I do have a board question moving right along. So this one I love because if you're a physical therapist and anyone knows you're a physical therapist, you need to know the answer to this question and you need to know how to perform the tests in these questions because now this will come in handy. <laughs> it says, Alexa sprained her ankle a week ago during a soccer game and is now presenting to physical therapy for evaluation. Her therapist wants to rule out an anterior talofibular ligament tear. Which of the following tests would assess the integrity of the anterior talofibular ligament? Mm-hmm. The Taylor tilt test, the eversions stress test, the windless mechanism test or the anterior drawer test so we'll start with the taylor tilt test the taylor tilt test it directly challenges that calcaneal fibular ligament and if you'll refer back to the question we want to know about that anterior talofibular ligament so i don't love taylor tilt the eversion stress test that's going to assess the integrity of the deltoid ligaments along that medial aspect of the ankle so i don't love that one the windless mechanism that's going to challenge the fascia along the plantar foot so that's like your plantar fasciitis test so really not relevant but the anterior drawer test is what we use to test the integrity of that talofibular ligament So you test it compared to the unaffected side. Always recommend testing unaffected first and then testing affected to see if we've got some ligamentous laxity. It always used to throw me off so much because I was like, no, anterior drawer is in the knee. What do you mean? There's an anterior drawer of the ankle as well. There's There's two. two. There's Because why wouldn't there be in physical therapy? Yeah, and I don't know the amount of time someone's like been like, I've sprained my ankle. Like, can you just check it check it, and tell me, like, do I need to go to the doctor or whatever? Like, you know like, how many ligaments are in your ankle, boy? I know, I know. So I'm like, I really feel like every PT needs to, ha- like, know this, have it in their back pocket, know how to test the ligaments of an ankle because yep. we all, like, anyone who's played sports for any amount of time has sprained their ankle. Yeah. We all, yeah. anyone who's, like, walked any amount of time. I literally sprained my ankle walking. Yeah. I told people it was in soccer practice because technically it was, but I was it was done. Practice was over, and I was walking to yeah. get my ball and dumped my ankle. So, yeah, so. Knowing this test, have is that in your be back pocket, you. and it just—I think it just makes people feel better. Like sometimes people ask me things, and I'm like, "That's how I'm just like move their joints." I'm like, like, "No, I'm you're like, fine." I'm like poking it. Like, does that hurt? Does that hurt? Does that hurt? Now nah, you're good. I'm like, "Oh, you're fine." So if you can have this in your back te- back pocket, you can just be like, "Oh yeah, ankle's a little bit lax, but probably fine, just from an yeah. old sprain." So, all right, your PSA is that you are normal. You are normal. You are normal. You, you are, are beautiful, perfect. and just don't let all that other nonsense in so all right we love you guys i hope this was educational i hope this helped if nothing else like helped people feel that they are normal feel secure in their bodies and like stop listening to ads that are trying to make you feel insecure thank you so much thank you all right well we will see you guys next week thanks for listening we love you guys and write in if you want to hear yeah, anything from let us. Let us know what you want to hear. If you have any questions, write us in your own patient wins. If you're a PT yeah. and you've got some patient wins, whether it's pelvic floor related or not, let us know. We'd love to share them. Um, but that is it. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.